This is Yusai. Welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. Four-time Emmy-winning host Michelle Turner has been a correspondent on NBC, CNN, Entertainment Tonight, and Headline News. If you know Michelle, she's an entertainment journalist who never shies away from the truth. She has always shared from the depth of her experience. Also, Jeannie Mai is a host and television personality known for her energetic contribution to shows The Real and How Do I Look. With her current podcast, Listen, Honey, she candidly discusses issues of race, self-care, and mental health. Michelle Turner grew up in Missouri, where she studied journalism before coming to Hollywood to pursue her dreams. She has come to America's homes on TV shows like Showbiz Tonight and Entertainment Tonight, becoming a familiar figure that we all identify with. Upbeat and uplifting. Michelle has also shared a lot of truth about her personal experiences as a woman of color. Thank you so much for joining me here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, first, before I get started, I believe in giving people their flowers. So,、um, your Sports Illustrated cover was amazing and beautiful and historic and just really, really gorgeous. Some of my favorites on there, Kate Bach. I love her, and and I love、uh, Golden Bar Jasmine. I love them, and so it was really, really great. Thank you. And over the years, you have interviewed them on your show. Yes, it's such a great moment for them, and to celebrate inclusivity. We talk about inclusion a lot during this time, and for me, I've been a champion about inclusion. Just not what's in front of me, but what's behind the camera. Your entire crew, people you're surrounded by. That's what really, really starts. To make that meter change in our industry, absolutely. When people making decisions reflect what society looks like and are diverse and inclusive and truly diverse and inclusive, not just talking about black and white, then that's when we start to see the change that we're all so desperately fighting for right now. We're talking about Jasmine Sander on the cover of Sports Illustrated. We had this conversation when I was shooting her. This conversation happened about inclusion, and I said, "Listen, what are you going to bring?" And she said, "This." Don't touch my hair. Yeah, that's right. It was amazing. She was this. It's me. So everything else, you dress me, you make whatever. This tells you who I am. So leave. That's why the cover. Oh, I have chills. That's why that cover is so special and so beautiful because it was each one of those women celebrating who they were and her being in the middle just speaks so much of what this magazine is about and what I'm part of this journey that I couldn't be more proud and and she owns that every moment and and she is as beautiful on the outside as she is on the inside absolutely I do appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about some of my experiences I did have a really、um, life changing experience about a year ago. Right here in the heart of Hollywood, it it's not by any means the first time that I've ever experienced discrimination. Not by any means,、um, and I'm sure it won't be the last. But it was, you know, a cold dose of reality because I was coming from a place where I was on such a high and I was feeling so good about myself and really had had a great day, and all of a sudden, like wham, it just all changed. So it was really、um, an eye opener in that way for me.、Um, it was last year, 
August 6th of 2019, I was coming from interviewing uh, America's favorite, Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> and also America's eye candy, Michael B. Jordan. I was coming from interviewing the both of them. Um, Michael had a new show that was debuting on Oprah's network called David Makes Man. And so I was interviewing the both of them at the premiere. And it was at the new house in Hollywood. And if people live out here in Southern California, they know it's right there on uh, Sunset, right in the heart of Hollywood, you know, uh, like on Pretty Woman. What's your dream? Everybody <laughs> in Hollywood. Everybody has a dream. I always think about that when I'm in the heart of Hollywood. I think about that moment in that film. And so I was leaving from there and I was uh, going home. I it just really, you know, it's a great day when you see Oprah and a great day when you and Michael B get to vibe. And, it, you know, I got great interviews with them and, and Oprah was so lovely and, you know, just loving. And so I felt really good. And I uh, admittedly was feeling a little sassy because I just gotten a, a little... <laughs> little convertible so I was like oh well how about this I'm gonna drive home with the top down and you know be real cute so I started driving down Sunset Boulevard and a car pulled out in front of me and cut me off and so I had to slam my brakes on to to stop from running into the car and when I looked up guy had his finger you know give me the middle finger had his finger out the window and I'm like oh, really you know when you when that happens and you're automatically irritated and you're just like oh, I mean really guy come on so we were both going to the light we both got to the light at this pretty much the same time they were in the turning lane and I was in the lane right beside them and I looked over and just kind of gave a shrug like real like what was that for and they started screaming, F you, F you. And I'm like, what? There were four guys in the car. Um, I couldn't really make out the two in the back, but the two in the front, I could see really well. And so they started screaming, F you, F you. And I was like, me, F you, you're the one who cut me off, right? And so um, all of a sudden, the guy in the passenger seat rolls down the window and, and they're both screaming, F you, and he spits on my car. And I was like, what? So I started screaming, are you crazy? Are you effing crazy? And so the, the driver starts screaming, you nigger. Like the end were just hard. You nigger, nigger. Just screaming it, right? And I automatically was like, what is happening here? What is happening? I like to think that I'm pretty quick on my feet. But when something like that happens, it just really like mollywobbed me, you know? So I've didn't really even know what to say. I think I just kept repeating. I was a bit in a little bit of a haze, but I think I just kept repeating like, what? And so the guy in the passenger seat then gets out, leans out, opens the door, gets out, spits on me in the car and starts screaming, you know, the N word over and over again. At that point, like a crowd had begun to form a little bit because they were screaming so loud and I was screaming back like what you know like and a woman drove up in an SUV it was a white woman I remember because it is what got me out of my haze and she drove up pulled in and behind me and she starts out her window saying are you okay are you okay are you okay and I like snapped out of my haze when that happened and the guys I think they noticed that a crowd was kind of forming and they were getting a lot of attention. So they just took off in their car. And the only thing I could think about at that point was I, got, I have to get their driver's license, I, you know? And so I just took off after them 
and started following them and started calling 911 to report what had happened. And, you know, when I finally got through to 911, which was kind of difficult getting through to the Hollywood station, I kept putting out into, into different, different places. But when I finally got through and I was reporting it, they told me to stop following them. They told me that I needed to come down to the Hollywood station and file a report because we were out of the area because I was following them, like trying to get their license plate information. And so once they told me, once the police told me to stop following them, I did. And I pulled over the side of the road. And I think that's when it really hit me what had just happened. And I had a massive breakdown on the side of the road. I mean, shaking and crying and, and just really kind of everything sitting in that I had just really been the victim of what I consider to be a hate crime. And it was something unlike I'd never experienced before. I grew up in rural Missouri, so I've heard, I've heard a lot. My neighbors called black people color until now, you know, but it was like the vitriol that they were saying it with and the force that they were saying it with. And I, and I admit I was afraid of what was happening or what would have happened. And thankfully I was in an area like the heart of Hollywood and not in a, a, a desolate area because you never know what could have happened. When something like that happens, your adrenaline takes over, yeah. right? You, you completely just take over and you forget the situation where you're at and you build up this armor. And it takes so much strength to still hold on to that steering wheel and drive and follow them. What gave you the strength to to still follow them? Yeah, I, I think it was adrenaline, but I also think, you know, I'm a journalist. You know, at the end of the day, we are supposed to get the story, get mm. the information, make sure we have the facts. And I think that kicked in as well, because the only thing I knew to be able to identify them at all was to get a license plate number. And was that information able to help you capture the people? Yes and no. <laughs> I did go and report the crime at the Hollywood police station and they took my information. They assigned a detective to the case. I did ask them to consider it a hate crime. They told me that because there had been some sort of near traffic accident before all of this, they didn't think the courts would consider it a hate crime because what they generally look at as hate crimes is if someone just walked up to you out of the blue and started calling you the N-word and assaulted you, which I think is ridiculous, but that was the explanation that I was given. They did find the driver. The detective on the case came to my office with a photo lineup um, for me to pick out the driver. I'll never forget his face, and I picked him out immediately. Wow. Um, but they also then told me, because I had the license plate, that it led them to the person who owned the car. And that person would then have to cooperate with police to identify the other people in the car. Now, if that's his buddy, chances are he wasn't going to do that. And the other thing is, he technically didn't commit a crime because he never touched me. Calling mm. someone nigger is not a crime. It was a really emotional night. I mean, after that all happened, I, I felt so dirty and disgusting. Someone had spit. I mean, that's like the lowest form of low spitting on you. And I remember being in the shower for about an hour that night, just trying to scrub it off of me and just feeling like, you know, I just wanted to get it off. But of course, we know it's a deeper pain, like, you know, that you're just trying to rid yourself of. 
Having the courage to talk about difficult stories and share challenges is an inspiration to us all. I had a similar experience to Nichelle's that I'm still struggling to share. It is often hard to express the way we are wounded by prejudice. What was it that moment that you realized that this has been rooted so deep that it's affecting you that it's time to tell the story? And I will share that sentiment because this something similar happened to me. I've never shared and never talked about. Well, I think that the landscape of the country at the time that we're in and what was going on, the voices that were standing up and speaking out for change, the events of the day, you know, people standing up and taking to the streets in, in memory of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and what they had gone through. I still heard voices, not a lot of them, but still heard voices trying to explain it away. You know, mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. They were doing something they weren't supposed to be or something. So because of that, it started to infuriate me. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of people who I wouldn't call them racist, but I think that they are prejudiced, who like to explain things away because it lets them off the hook. You know, it lets you off the hook if you can have some sort of, like, answer for this bullshit. Like, it lets you off the hook, right? So I thought, there's so many people who watch me on television every night. Um, There's so many people who feel connected with me in that way. You know, I'm a black girl who grew up on a pig farm in rural Missouri. So if I tell my story of racism and intolerance, then maybe they will look at me, somebody who they feel like they trust, who they see every night, who they feel like is a neighbor or a friend in their head. And they hear this coming from me, then maybe that will sit with them in a way that it didn't before and let them know that these things happen. They aren't made up. You can't explain it away. And because of something that may have happened in your past or where you were at the time, it does not make it right. It does not make it okay. So I just felt like I really needed to speak up and speak out about it for that reason, mostly. And and also, you know, I, I tried to let the justice system run its course and tried to let the LAPD, you know, do what they needed to do. And because I didn't feel like I was getting any justice through the legal system, I also felt like I needed to start using my voice and my platform to talk about what happened. For those of us in marginalized communities, we need to find a singular voice, a way to come together to discuss all that we share. Finding common ground with our allies and diverse communities is the key to really communicating and to seek understanding. People in marginalized communities and people of color know the everyday occurrences of it happening. So we don't talk about it because we're like, well, yeah, this happens. It happens all the time. I mean, I I have had an outpouring of support, which I really appreciate from all corners all types of people, but I have, especially from African-Americans, gotten, yeah, you know, this happens every day. Welcome to the world, sis. I hope that other Asian people, other people who have been told culturally stay quiet is not to stay quiet any longer. But I also think that it's especially important for the Asian community and the Black community to come together and heal what has historically been a really fractured relationship. Yes. Um, because I think when, when we do merge, um, it's a very powerful community that you form. 
I mean, that's something that I right now am actively, you know, looking at and working towards healing. I think that the relationship between black women and white women is a place where we really have to start to, because that's a very tenuous and fractured mm-hmm. um, situation as well. Not a lot of trust there at all, um, as well as with the Asian community and the black community, which is a shame because our communities, our, our stories, our history blends so much. And so I, you know, we've got to start healing there and coming together. We need to work together because we don't, we all continue to be marginalized because right. it's okay to have two Asian people on the same network. It should be, yes. it's, like, it's okay. <laughs> we can all eat. I've, I've actually had some people recently say, well, what do you do for your community? What do you do? You know, and I'm like, number one, I don't have to shout about it because I know the fight that I have every single day for representation. I believe images mm-hmm. matter. I'm in a business where, you know, we have some control over what people consume at home and that mm-hmm. takes responsibility seriously. I'm a fight like hell every single day to see true diversity and inclusion in those images. And it hasn't always worked or been easy. It's no, well, it's not easy now, but when you can fight in whatever area you're in, because, you know, people say now, and I think it's so true. It's not enough anymore to not be racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. If I'm being honest to, to the people that are listening, when you say to a person of color, and I know that it's well-meaning, I don't see color because my point is, well, why the hell not? Because I do like see me celebrate me. Yes. I'm a black woman. You better freaking believe it. And you, I want you to see me. When you say you don't see color, that's when it's also easy to marginalize somebody. No, see me. And I love the fact that you are, in your way, the most gracious way, calling people out because that's what we need to do for each other. a Vietnamese-Chinese-American from San Jose. Jeannie Mai is beloved in media, hosting television programs both in the United States and in Asia, most recently as a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. On shows like The Real, Hello Honey, and How Do I Look? She's known for her outspoken voice and unbounded authenticity. Growing up, I'm, I'm sure you've gone through it that you you hide your Asianness, right? You're like, oh, maybe you see me as white, so I can be part of these opportunity that's out there. Yeah. And I went through this long period of time wondering, okay, I always gonna have this Taiwanese screwed up accent because I lived so many different places. My grammar is never gonna be correct because I'm dyslexic. I read teleprompters backwards. And that's always been like my scare. The funny thing is what I learned is when to Singapore, everybody has an accent. They're yeah. also diverse and they yeah. embrace all of them. And I yeah. couldn't be more proud that I needed to go back to Asia to learn that I'm down. You know? And, and yes. you part of that journey because when I saw you went back to Asia to work, I was blown away because you know how many people who become successful in America as Asian that actually would go back to Asia and work. Yeah, not many. Not many. Not many. So That's I thank truth. you for that because you have been such inspiration to me. Not just awesome. in just just in your actions, you know, in your action, what you're doing, your your dating life. 
your pureness. And that's why I really so proud of the, the real because you keep it real there so much. And the diversity of conversation that you bring and the candidness that you are here today is that Asian people can learn that we don't have to be invisible and we should never yeah. be invisible. No Asian walk is the same, which is why we need to always come with open ears, always be open to listen. I mean, right now is the best time to learn the art of listening. But the art of listening is truly dropping everything that you have ever thought or what you're yes. doing in five minutes, your schedule, what phone you're, te- you're texting and checking on. No, it's ev- drop everything to listen to a person's experience. Feel the way their eyes change when they tell you about the different moments of, of their failures and their upcomings. You know, um, make sure that you ask the right questions to get people to really open up and share what it is you want them to know about. And this means, especially for people of color, especially for black friends, I think it's one thing to ask, you know, um, what can I be doing? But it's also another to just be asked, how are you? Check in and, and don't put any pressure already on black people to have to tell you the things that you should go do yourself. You should go and learn yourself. You Don't ask your friends for book recommendations and what documentaries you need to watch. Your ass is grown. You can go and do that yourself. <laughs> These people are living this experience and you expect them to now like go relive it in order to teach your ass. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So, so it is really great to have social media right now. Like Instagram has been so helpful to post and, and, and share beautiful speeches by James Baldwin and, you know, the Angela rise in the world are so great. And Charlemagne, the God is, is doing an amazing job to help educate us. Amanda Seals. She's, she's also wonderful in teaching us how to understand the times and, and what we can be doing out here and, and adding some humor as well, because we, sh- we do have to also laugh while we go and still fight for Breonna Taylor's family. Absolutely. And it's a lot going on, but so much to do. Nobody should be bored right now. In this time of social distancing, we rely more and more on media to educate and enlighten us. But few of us really address our issues or take time to be aware of the messages that we take in. Ginny isn't afraid to discuss mental health, relationships, or sex, which are typically taboo subjects in Asian culture. At this time, everybody is obviously recommended or urged to socially distance. That doesn't mean that we should emotionally distance. When you socially distance, obviously the proximity of distance is important. But when you emotionally distance yourself from people, you can really bring yourself to a place of not just loneliness, but a place of disconnect from human beings that we're not meant to do. Human beings are meant to connect. You're meant to have touch or you're meant to exchange ideas. You're meant for somebody to wake you up, pull you out of bed, encourage you. And so when you, and when you emotionally distance yourself, you can put yourself in a dangerous place because you'll only have the voices of here to talk to. And that's not always a good thing. For you to touch upon that is so poignant because in the Asian culture, we don't talk about mental health openly. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that we do. We kind of just bury it and go, that doesn't exist. And yeah. growing up, I know that you're, you're born in San Jose and I moved yeah. out here when I was about 12. So I feel like I was born in America. Even growing up in America, culturally, we just don't discuss that. It's important to make sure that with all the inundated news we get about bad news, video after video about Karens out there, right? I'm just so much madness. 
it's important, yes, to keep yourself abreast of the news, but also fill yourself with positive conversations so that you're breaking the narrative you may have inside. So your brain might be in repetition saying, oh, this is terrible. I lost my job. Things are never going to be the same. I'm never going to find a relationship. How am I going to start dating? My marriage sucks. If your narrative is saying this and you're by yourself in the four corners of your walls, that's always going to repeat. So that is why it is important to log on to IG lives or podcasts that are empowering and just keep it on audio and just play it while you're doing your makeup, while you're chopping your vegetables, while you're sewing, whatever it is, while you're taking a walk around your block, whatever it is you're doing, listen and allow yourself to have different dialogues so that it's not just you in your head having the same negative thoughts sometimes. But I want everybody to know this is that, you know, especially for the Asian American community. And I, I have to say is that during this pandemic, I have never felt more Asian American than ever. Being colorblind is not okay. You have to be color aware. You have to see a black person as they are a black person and photograph them as the best of black person. Especially um, coming from an Asian American background, I will say specific Asian people, specific Asian cultures, Taiwanese, Cambodian, um, um, obviously Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, all of our Asian cultures have some sort of racial prejudice inside them. All of them. I'm saying that to all my people out there. I'm looking right at you. In your households, not only are there anti-blackness in the households, but there's also colorism. I, myself, as a tan Vietnamese, oh. I was judged all the time from my from my Vietnamese side of like, which means like, you are so dark. You look like you're poor. Dark people look poor. Right. And I would never have thought that was an inappropriate comment. I just thought that if that was, you know, law. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, that's just the old Asians. Not realizing that the entire time, not only is that super colorist, but it's also very racist. Absolutely. And and we have that in our cultures, all of our cultures. You go into any country and it's all about skin brightening creams and how to like, you know, bounce the light and make yourself look the, the lightest you can look. So you're not wrong for noting that it's really bad that we would make jokes and, and not really understand that it can be not only very hurtful, but it's very irresponsible. And that's why today I am like you. I, I really am proud of being Asian American because my American side is teaching me the inappropriateness of a lot of our old school ways and our cultured ways of thinking. So even during this time, even though I know a lot of people have canceled 2020, I know everybody's like, we've shutting it down. No, I actually think that 2020 might be the hardest, but the best year yet. Because 2020 has called every single one of us to stand to attention and to recognize not only what kind of person you are and what kind of actions you take, but also what kind of country you want and what kind of country you've been living in. And so it's made us all really call ourselves to the, to the table to say, what do you have to say about this situation? How have you been standing up for your allies? And even if you say, oh, no, no, it's cool. I, I got black friends. I'm, I'm great. Just having black friends or just not being racist isn't enough. You've got to be anti-racist. Absolutely. What do you do to take steps to stop the conversation in your household. If somebody in your family says, what are they all so angry about? Like, oh my God, get over it. It was a long time ago. Are you speaking up? Are you making yourself uncomfortable? Also, if somebody brings up the word racial wealth gap, do you take the time to go Google that? 
Are you going to learn what that means? I know for me, I've never watched so many documentaries about Black history because I realized I don't know shit. I was not taught these things. I came from a time where in all of elementary school, all my elementary school teachers were white, all white women. And I actually eBayed some of my textbooks from back in the day. In 398 pages of my of my history book in seventh grade, every chapter was about Christopher Columbus and Benjamin Franklin and all these, you know, big figures, which we all now know that Christopher Columbus actually didn't discover America. But this is what I learned then. And then there's two tiny pages of slavery, two tiny ones, slavery and Harriet Tubman, and then moved right on to the next conquistadors and all the people that, you know, accomplished greatness. When we didn't even recognize that the entire foundation of America, all of our structures and land and buildings was built off the backs of Black people. I really have been watching so many great documentaries to educate myself. I understand now. And I too, like you, I'm understanding going back. I'm like, wow, there are so many things I could have said different. I've definitely said I don't see color before. I've definitely um, sang, you know, when I sing songs, like some of my favorite songs, I've definitely said the N word because it's in the song. I don't use it in regular day, but using it in a song is the same. And same we have thing. this idea that because our best friends are black and you're saying that you're allowed to say that. And it's, right, right, it's right. So inappropriate. I mean, there's been. Yeah, notions, I definitely you know. laughed when my family made fun of my skin. Of course I laughed. I was yes. like, stop it, whatever. Like that makes it okay. Because we perpetuate that notion that if we make it seem like it's okay, therefore it's okay. And our good yes. friends laughing with us. Therefore, I can use that joke elsewhere. Although we are making strides, Asians are still underrepresented in the media, and the competition can be fierce. At the same time, we do need to examine the underlying relationships within the AAPI community. As you were climbing a ladder, did you encounter Asian-hating Asians in the industry, in the network, as you were working toward your goal? Absolutely. I always get the, oh, you you don't seem Asian, which immediately in that small statement, I'm like, you do realize you just drew a tiny little box around our people that they should all look what? The same way and talk the same way and they all have an accent. These people don't mean offense. They only speak what they see. And so somebody has to come by and say, actually, Asians come in a variety of shapes, sizes, and experiences, dialects. Styles of talking. Have you seen, like, you got a girl from the Bay, so you're going to have somebody who speaks a different way here. But have you met an Asian girl from, from the Valley? Have you met an Asian girl that's coming from Alaska? I mean, they're, they're all different. I've met Asian girls that live in Colombia and have a beautiful accent and speak Espanol at the same time. So it's like, you, you know, we have to broaden a horizon there. And then I think the second thing is when I was starting out in my career, if I met another Asian, and because it's only what, it's me, Lucy Liu, Lisa Ling, and now Aquafina. But at the time, there weren't any at all. So if I met another Asian whose job was to cast for an Asian role, they always wanted me to play the most Asian style of Asian possible, which means I'd lighten my skin. I lose maybe about 15 more pounds. I would dye my hair black and look very, very like probably the Taiwanese version of, of Asian or maybe like the, the um, stereotype of the, yes, the, the very Chinese ding, 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 like that, the shiny oriental fabrics and all that. And I'm like, 
man, that's crazy because if you don't call on me, you're going to pass the role on to like a few other Asian girls. And that's all we have because in Hollywood, if you were an Asian woman that, that was going to take a role, you have to look the stereotypical exotic, by the way. That's a whole nother thing. They want the one that looks sexy, the one that like brings dollars to the box office because you may be a freak, you know? And so, yeah. So I think specific Asians, I remember casting directors asking me, okay, you know, is this only, is this skin color only for summer? Are you willing to put on longer eyelashes? Oh um, can we, yeah. Can we straighten your nose more? Because a, a really high nose is, is really desirable. Um, dye my hair jet black um, or wear a wig. So things like that. And then from non-Asian people, I remember that my first few jobs were based off of the sexier version of me. So for example, MTV, I did an audition. And it would have been the first on-camera job that would have allowed me to be a part of SAG-AFTRA. It was with an actor named Frankie Muniz. And he did a show where he was basically a race car driver. And he needed two women beside him to just be his hosts, right? So one was a tall, gorgeous Caucasian girl, long legs, bouncy boobs, the whole thing. And then they were like, okay, and you're going to be our exotic oriental. And I remember... I had a moment of crossroads where I can either be the, excuse me, I'm not Oriental and there's much more to me than just this body. Or am I going to take the check and, and make my way up? And I did be, I have a love hate relationship with that memory. That was one of few jobs, but I absolutely did agree to some of the stereotypes mm. that were asked of me because number one, I felt, Every audition room I walked in, it was all white faces at the time. This is like back in 2000, like maybe five, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, if somebody's going to learn about what an Asian sister is like up in here, it's going to be me. I'm not going to leave the room while these white girls get all these jobs when I know I could get the job because I am attractive. I am smart. I am well-spoken. I am professional. I am talented. I can get the job just like these women, but you're going to actually see a different colored perspective when you, when you, get, when you hire me. So that so that's one reason why I took the job. So that's my love side of it is I represented to get to where I am now. But then my hate side of it is that I realized that part of being Asian, especially being Asian American, is that there's something in my culture that has taught me, maybe specifically my my Vietnamese culture. I feel I've been taught to just go with the flow. Don't argue. Don't don't be the mm -hmm. one to cause me. Right. Don't be difficult. Don't be difficult. And I think it has to do with the fact that my parents immigrated here. Both of them had to escape Vietnam, communist circumstances, tiptoe into America to be like, guys, do you mind if I just squeeze in between you know, you guys and let me just make a place? And so when I was growing up, I was always afraid of being deported. I had this, even though I was, I'm American, I have a, I'm born on American soil, but I, my parents made me feel like, don't let the cops come and take us. Don't let them make them make us go back because they're all refugees. So the mentality is we don't belong here. So we're just going to do what we're supposed to do, make our money, take care of our family and don't make any noise. Don't get arrested. Don't get crazy with the law so that they don't make us go back. And so somewhere that ingrained in me all the way till I was older. And then when it came to jobs where somebody would offend me, I was hustling. So I, I went one route, but the other side where I felt offended, I didn't speak up. I didn't speak up. And this led to many problems, not just within racism, but I was sexually abused as a kid. 
I definitely was offended and absolutely inappropriately approached when I was getting up in the business. Absolutely had my even run-ins with, you know, people like the Harvey Weinsteins because they're all over. Thankfully, I never was placed in a is in a more dangerous circumstance than just the inappropriate behavior. But even then, I never said anything. So now today, as my black brothers and sisters out there are hurting and are over it, are ready for this country to make the necessary changes they need to make, I'm furious and I'm angry. And I'm like, wow, I'm fighting and standing up more for my black brothers and sisters than I even would my own race. And I, 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 and I'm, I have to tell you, it's, it's shocking to me to admit this, but I realize that we don't have the same type of connection within all of our races. I don't think Japanese people would stand up for Filipinos. I don't think Mongolian would stand up for Chinese. Like we all kind of stick to our race. And yes, the dialects make it hard, but we are all we have. The Asian American race is beautiful and we worked so hard to get here. And if anybody knows about racism, we understand what it's like to be oppressed and what it's like. Now, I'm not saying it's the same experience. Of course, never that. But I'm just saying, like, we of all people should understand what it, how we need to ally for each other. As our conversation comes to a close, Jeannie and I talked about next steps. It is easy to talk about problems, but more important, to actively listen and seek solutions. Earlier, you said that we had this, this distance thing that we're supposed to keep six feet apart, and I've been championing this over and over. I said, if you're in six feet distance, you can actually share kindness and love. And that's more meaningful than the six feet apart from each other. And that goes from everywhere, from the food industry to the fashion industry to the television industry. I think this is definitely the time that I feel that I'm the most naive and at the same time, most open yeah. to learn. And at times, I'm beating myself up, but it's painful, it's necessary. And I hope the pendulum does swing so far that when I show up on every set, I'm asked if she was a color person. And I'm asked mm. if she was color. I didn't say black, I said color because they're all range of color. And I yeah. hope that editor-in-chief in positions are replaced with people with more diverse ideas. I don't care about yeah. what color she is, I guess, higher. I care about the idea that's in behind those eyes. And actually... Stop perpetuating the notion that that's only the light color celebrity can be on cover of magazines who happen to be black. And we have discussions about lightening the skin a little bit when we do the cover or darkening the skin a little bit because, you know, we want to talk to this audience. Let yeah. people be real. Let's get real. Seriously. Yes, and and exactly. we can get into this to the point that I'll start screaming because, I, you know, in our industry. Oh, I know how passionate you are. Yes. We, we live in this bubble. And I'm so glad somebody's bursting that bubble for me to say, you know what? If you don't like it, say it. Are you wanting to lose job over it? You better want to because that's what's going to make a difference. Number one thing that you should check and recognize is your privileges. You should absolutely know what your privileges are. What are your advantages in this world? And then how are you using them to help the Black community? How are you using it to help fight for equality? How are you using it to help champion for all these families that need to fight for justice? For me right now, the focus is definitely Black Lives Matter. And it means I need to learn my privileges, whether it's my platforms that I have or even friends that I have, how to connect and cross-intersect these communities so people can serve other people. Thank you, Nichelle and Jeannie, for your stories, your honesty, and continue to speak up for issues that need to be amplified. 
With your words, we can begin a process of healing. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me on Instagram at usite88 for updates. Let's Talk is a production of 88 Faces. I'm your host, Usai. Our director, Louis Jaime. Writer, editor, producer, Trevor Swaringen.